Welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I am here in person. Yeah. On, with, a vinyl, on a vinyl sofa. On a vinyl sofa. Moving around. Let's see if you can hear it. I don't know. Okay. I'm here with Father Chuck. Hey. In uh, my office. <clears throat> the old office. Uh, where we last recorded, uh, was it the uh, Satanic Panic episode? With the, I think that was it. I think it was, yeah. Know? Yeah, so this is the, like a, I don't know, I was going to say sequel, but we're not talking about Satanic Panic this And week. we don't have Keelan with us, so. Not with us. Neither is Matt, unfortunately, but maybe next week. Uh, <clears throat> hello, audience. <laughs> it's It's been a while. Uh we apologize for the uh, gaps between episodes, uh, but you know, life gets in the way, but we will uh, surely, soon enough, we'll be falling back into a regular routine as before. Uh, please don't stop listening to us. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, so we're here this week and uh, I got to come to Florida and visit my friends. And um, we, uh, the first thing I did when we got here was watch Black Panther. Ate sushi. Ate sushi. And then went to go see Black Panther. And then we saw Black Panther. Uh, two completely different cultural experiences. Yes. <laughs> um, which uh, which was a great movie, I think. Uh, Chuck, what did you think about Black Panther? I, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know what, 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 as a white guy, I don't know what my opinion's allowed to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, like... Uh, I think there are some really great uh, writers and personalities out there who have some really interesting takes on Black Panther. Um, I can really only reiterate what most people are saying, which is that it's a really good movie and that it's uh, very much set apart from the rest of the Marvel films. And I mean that in a great, in a very, in a very good way. Yeah, I mean, really, um, it really is. It really could stand on its own, just as its own movie. Like it doesn't. Yeah, the only thing that connects it to the rest of the mar to the to the to the Marvel to the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is a is one of the post credits scenes. Right. Yeah. With yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, all I can really say is that I thought it was a great film. I thought Ryan Coogler, who directed it, did like a tremendous job. Uh, the characters are great. It's it's very funny. Uh, it's very exciting. It's it's a little sad. Kind of tugs at the heartstrings. Um, I could make. I mean. As far as representation goes, it's like it's like a vision, you know. It's like perfect, I think. Um, well, I, I think I think honestly, JP, I think we we should do an episode about it. Yeah, and I've got a friend in mind who I think would be a very good guest to talk about it in a fair way. I don't want to give anything away because I think you okay. could do it, and I think it would be cool. But I don't want to like set us up for something. Cause yeah, that's fine because I haven't talked to him about it yet. <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, so I think I think we should do that. It cool. would be it'd be good for us to diversify our podcast a little bit. I absolutely agree. Um, but uh, yeah, I just thought you know, in the spirit of this episode, you know, this episode we're going to talk about just uh, what's going on in pop culture these days, uh, mostly like in movie news and stuff like that. Kind of like kind of a throwback to our very early episodes. I'm going to say very early. I mean like our first episode. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't know what to talk about, and I just uh, I fired up the old internet and just like stumbled upon that story about was it Batman vs Superman like an R-rated yeah, yeah. yeah 
So it's kind of like that. And uh, yeah, so just bring up, I just thought we should give Black Panther some lip service because we did see it. We did participate in the cultural event that happened this year. We did. And we did. Uh, I, I mean, I just, I agree with everybody else. I thought it was, I thought it was great. And uh, I know Chuck liked it too. And uh, I, Matt said, Matt, I can't speak for Matt, but I know he has told me that he did also like it. So. So he gets the Masters of Divinity thumbs of approval. Absolutely. So, and chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you yourself have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> let's not, let's not mince words. I mean, it's made so much money. I'm pretty sure everyone has seen it. Yeah. I was, I just, let's, let's while you're doing that, I just, I want to talk about, I, I've seen it twice. Yeah. And the first time I saw it was opening weekend here in Boca. And that was a very interesting experience because it was a lot of, let's say retired age people. Oh, yeah. In the theater when I saw it, um, and I saw it like on a Tuesday, so it was it was it was after opening weekend, but it was its first weekend theaters, and it was on a Tuesday, and I and that was mainly because one I didn't have I, 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 that was the only time I could go, but the other was um, it turns out it had been sold out in theaters all over this area wow. up until that point, like it was really hard to, to see, and even then it was a packed theater, and then JP and I saw it a week later. Mm-hmm. And that theater was still packed. We went to like a pretty late in the evening showing, a nine thirty showing in Boynton Beach. Yeah, we and showed it, up like an hour early too. We did, <laughs> and it was there was a line to get in. It was yeah. crazy, mm-hmm. um, and it was. And I have to say, um, the, that second that second showing was a much better audience to see it with. Oh, good, because they were a much more active audience. I mean, nothing against again retirement aged <laughs> uh, folks. But it just—I'm I'm not necessarily sure that 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 Black Panther that that was the intended audience for Black Panther, and we saw it more with sort of people in our peer group, and also with lots of uh, with, with with people of color, mm-hmm. which added to the experience, I think. <laughs> um, and um, it was so, yeah. So again, I, that's I, I'd like to talk more about that with a guest. So totally, you know, you bring up uh, the old retired audience, which is really. It's like its own demographic mm-hmm. and I feel like I've always felt like I've had a special bond with them because film students and that subset of people see the same movies together <laughs> at the same time you know that's actually true it is fascinating to me how many older folks uh, I mean, I, I'm here in West Boca I'm just going to be honest like Boca has a reputation of. I mean if you've watched Seinfeld and you've ever seen Jerry visit his parents in Florida he's come to Boca yeah um, and it is really fascinating that, like, the number of people, you know, in their 70s and 80s talking about a movie like Lady Bird yeah. in conversation. I mean, they see, like, yeah, they see, like, all these really serious, artsy, yeah. you know, Oscar bait kind of movies. And I'm like, but, but, but Guardians of the Galaxy 2, did you guys? No, no, okay. <laughs> and what's funny is they always hate it. <laughs> That's always been my experience. Is, uh, like, I just remember seeing, I think the only time I, had, I didn't hear someone like hating the movie was when we saw Good Night and Good Luck. And uh, it was basically just film students and old people. And it's, it's of course, a- old people loved that movie. Uh, but like, you know, there, if you see some kind of indie artsy film and you're, you're always like, God, why are they here? But I, I, I don't begrudge them. Uh, you know, uh, there's a special bond between us, and there is, uh, they're, they're keeping maybe, it alive. They're keeping the scene alive. You know, maybe we should have some retirement age people on the podcast <laughs> and ask them why they go see those movies. That would be an interesting thing to talk about. I mean, actually, I'm actually remembering now uh, when 
Matt and I saw The Witch two years ago. It was him, me and him, and like the rest of the theater was just older people. <laughs> now that <laughs> surprises me. <laughs> yeah. I guess they too wanted to live deliciously. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I love bringing that up because Matt gets so uncomfortable. I know. So, uh, having said that, let's let's move on to our to our main event. For I'm actually really I, I well, again while you're doing that, you, you look it up. I'm okay. not I'm not because I, I, I keep delaying. I don't want to delay you. But the, I, I, when you suggested this idea, I'm actually pretty excited about it because um, this is very different for us. A little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I just I've heard just sort of pop culture like like pop culture news roulette. Yeah. And I, I think I've landed on a, a pretty good uh, first story. For okay, us. all right, hit me with it. All right, so I don't know if you heard about this, Chuck, but uh, apparently Danny Boyle okay. is uh, looks like he's pretty much ready to go on directing the next James Bond movie. Wow. Yeah. For our audience members who don't know who Danny Boyle is, Danny Boyle um, first came to prominence with a movie in the '90s called Train Spotting. Um, and he's been kind of known for making these very kind of strange artsy movies with tr- with with troubled individuals. Mm-hmm. That's a fair statement. My favorite Danny Boyle movie is pr- arguably considered by many people to be his worst movie, and that is The Beach, <laughs> yeah, with Leonardo DiCaprio, um, which I, I, I deeply love that movie. Um, but um, um, that's an interesting choice because he is. He, he he. Usually, James Bond movies have sort of anonymous directors, like they, you know, other than like, other than Martin Campbell. Yeah, they I usually, feel like in a lot of ways, it's less about the. It's you know, James Bond's its thing. Lately, since Daniel Craig kind of came onto the scene as the next Bond, they've been kind of going for a sort of prestige, mm. and I think it has a lot to do with like the Dark Knight, and Christopher Nolan, because you know, uh, Martin Campbell. I mean, he's he's he I mean, he got that gig because of Goldeneye, straight up. Oh, I wish Matt was here. I know he would. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I have my, my my sort of hot take, and I've and I've started to see this sort of. I more people agree with me on this, but my feeling is just. And again, I can say this on Matt here because for the listeners who don't know, Matt is extremely into Bond, like yeah. really into James Bond. <laughs> um, but my 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 James Bond hot take is that Goldeneye is the best Bond movie. Um. I think before Daniel Craig popped up the scene, I think you're. I think you're right. I, I, even after Daniel, I think he is really. Uh, yes, I think it, it is. I, probably because it's the last one that Ian Fleming had any kind of direct involvement with. Yeah. But it's also, I feel like it's, it's like distilled perfect. Everything that makes Bond Bond is in that movie. But. Yeah, but yeah, most of these Bond films they kind of stick to. They've been trying to stick to prestige directors, which is like what a lot of plot blockbusters have been trying to do in the past ten years, right? So, like, they got Mark Forster to do Quantum of Solace. Huge mistake because Mark Forster sucks. Ooh, ouch. Um, I hate Mark Forster. <laughs> I, he's, I, I don't, here's the thing, I don't hate all directors because I think if you've made at least one good movie, you're a good director. I don't think Mark Forster has made a single good movie in his entire career. Yeah, I do remember when I saw Quantum of Solace that I was surprised at how artsy it came across for a Bond movie. Yeah. You know, like very strange um, subtitles for each of the countries that Bond was in and and just it had a very... It definitely didn't feel like a James Bond movie. Well, yeah, and it also had the disadvantage of uh, being made during the writer's strike. 
Okay, that's right. So it's also why the movie sort of and it's so it's kind of like A to B, very basic. Like right. it also it also had the misfortune of coming after Casino Royale, which is such a good Han movie. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, but then you know, then you go on to uh, Skyfall, which was directed by, um, um, uh, gosh, I'm totally blanking. Sam um, Mendes. Yeah, Sam Mendes. Who I mean, if you're going to go for prestige, Sam Mendes is a guy that did American Beauty. Uh, Road to Perdition, Revolutionary Road. He is like the artsy filmmaker. Yeah. And Skyfall, I think, is a beautiful film. I think it's. I think. I think that's the best James Bond film. See, I, I've actually kind of soured on that movie. Really? Yeah, I've soured on it over the years. Why? Um, well, one because it 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 does the thing that so many movies were doing, where the bad guy intends to get captured, so the bad guy can sit in a glass uh, yeah. box and. Yeah, and also I don't know. I just I mean it's it's I I also feel like there's a lot of fan service stuff that goes in it, like the classic Aston Martin getting destroyed. I mean, it's which not with fan service it getting destroyed, but it's right. but it's there, and I don't know. There's just some things in it that I, you know, it sort of in some ways ends by sort of cre- like closing the loop on Bond, and it you know hmm. it, it gets into that whole like. It sort of inspires a whole question of whether or not there is any actual continuity in the Bond movies, or whether or not different actors who play Bond are different. Like that, James Bond's a code name. Well, I mean, they kind of disprove that. In that. Yeah, I mean, they, they, yeah, I know that, but they played with it a little bit, and, and it's I don't know, it's it's I mean, it's a good movie. I enjoy the yeah. movie. I just don't know that I, I still think GoldenEye is the best Bond movie. Uh, I love it. I think it's I after think that it's, Moonraker. Yeah. I'm oh, kidding. Gosh, I'm really boy. kidding about the movies. Oh, boy. Dreadfully bad. <laughs> well, you don't like uh, the George Lazenby Bond movie? Then? I know a lot of people actually think that's like, among <laughs> the best Bond movies. On Her Majesty's Secret Matt, Service? Matt would kill me if I hear him mentioning that movie. He hates <laughs> that movie. Um, but I love Skyfall. I, I think it's beautifully made. Sam Edison is such a great job directing. And it's also was the, uh, the cinematography is done by Roger Deakins, who won an Oscar this week. Finally. Yeah, um, he went for Blade Runner twenty forty nine, right? Yep, yeah. Which it. I still see. Yeah, I, okay, I'm gonna lay my my nerd one of my nerd foibles out there. So you guys can we talk about movies a lot on this podcast. Uh, JP is often frustrated with me because there are a lot of movies I've never seen. Um, one of which is I've never seen a Godfather film. And I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I can, I already, we, one of our listeners, a guy who's also a member of my church, a guy named Carmen, I'm sure he's hearing this, and he is shocked <laughs> that I have never seen The Godfather, never seen any of them. Um, but I've also never seen Blade Runner. Yeah. And I know that that's, a, knowing JP, you're, you're less bothered by that. But Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the first one. So. Um, I've just never seen it, period. Just have no, have no idea. And um, I've, 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 I've tried to, anytime I see it pop up in articles, I try to avoid it because I want to see it and I don't want things to be too spoiled for me. But I kinda, yeah, I'm trying to gauge how you would feel about that movie because it is directed by Ridley Scott. I know you like Alien a lot. I love it. And I know you love science fiction. And it's considered to be like, like probably one of the greatest science fiction films ever made. I disagree with that notion, but and it's I really, still And I like Harrison good. Ford. Yeah. And um, I'd be really interested in knowing your thoughts on that. We should have a Blade Runner episode. We need to watch these movies back to back. And yeah, we should. We should it. do that. That'd be fun. Um, as a side note, because um, um, is, is it Dil- is it Dennis Villeneuve? Denny okay. Villeneuve. Okay, we have to we have to learn this name because he's going to become very popular. He's going to like become next Chris Nolan. So I'm going to teach everyone right now how to say his name. Okay, okay. You ready? Denny 
Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Exactly. Okay. Close enough. Denis Villeneuve. Why I want, one of the reasons I want to see it is because he is adapting what has become my favorite book. Yeah. And that is Dune. Right. Um, and I'm very, very interested in what he's going to do with that. Because I'm very interested in a, in a Dune series, or a Dune film. To, but I also fully believe that Dune probably should best be a Game of Thrones-style television show. Yeah, well, it was announced today, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself since we're kind of supposed to burn through news articles, but it was announced today it's going to be two movies. Oh, interesting. And he said it actually might be a series of movies. So I mean, really, it yields itself to, it definitely yields itself to a duology. Yeah. Because um, it's, I mean, <laughs> pardon me, one second. Let's see, I'm, I'm, I'm over here on my bookshelf, and um, I'm busting out my paperback edition of the book, and as oh you can God. see, how thick that book it, is. it is, it is, it is like four inches thick. Oh my gosh, that thing is huge. Yeah. Are the it other is. books that thick? No. No? Dune Messiah is like a third of this. Wow. Um, I don't know about Children of Dune, but um, yeah, if you've never read Dune... Do that. Get it and read it. I, I honestly like we're jo- we're laughing about how thick this book is, and it's honestly um, that's been the biggest deterrent for me as I, I, I growing up w- with it was um, I was always kind of fascinated by it on the shelf, and but I was like, man, who's, who has that kind of time? I mean, it's what to be honest. One of the reasons I've never read Crime and Punishment or War and Peace or any of the Russians because the books are huge, and who has time for com- convoluted subplots and all of that? <laughs> I finally decided to read Dune, and I have to say, it is one of the most readable books. Oh yeah, I cooked through this fast. Really? Yeah, I was actually surprised at how quick I went through this book. Um, but that's uh, a uh, uh, mass paperback edition. This is the only paperback edition you can get. Oh, really? Yeah, I want. There is there is a really great hardbound like museum edition thing that's out there. It's like this like really, the Folio Society. Movie. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's like it a thousand dollars probably. I want it. It's a couple hundred bucks, and I want yeah. it really bad. Nice. Um, but no, this is about the only. Cool. Well. Yeah. Uh, well. Anyway, back back to sorry, to sorry. It's okay. We <laughs> we get off on tangents here. Uh, so how do you feel about Danny Boyle directing a James Bond movie? Um, I'll see it. Yeah. I am interested because again, like, you know, Danny Boyle, I mean, he directed 28 days later. Yeah. Um, and, uh, 28 weeks later as well, right? No, No, he didn't do the sequel. That's right. Yeah. He's Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog Millionaire. An Oscar for. Um, and then of course the beach, train spotting, all those movies. And I, um, and the thing is, he's got a really close relationship with an author that I really like, who now has entered into the directing world. And that is Alex Garland, oh, who yeah. wrote The Beach, um, the novel The Beach, and they and that's how they got to know each other. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very. I think it'd be a really cool take because he's so like so he's, he's young English, and well, he's not that young, but he's he he Gen X English is sort of his yeah he, his framework, and that's you know Bond uh, Bond harkens to. Very much colonial. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess, okay, let me get on a tangent because, um, with this, because Alex Garland and him obviously have become friends. And Alex Gar- Garland's first novel is The Beach. Right. And The Beach deals with sort of the aftermath of colonialism um, because it's set in Thailand. And it's about this British, the American movie is, is about an American, but the actual novel is about a British kid who winds up in Thailand because he's basically trying to get away from everywhere the British have touched. But what he's finding is that all over Thailand, European travelers, like, you know, Euro trash is the phrase that people often use, um, are all all over the place. And so there really is no escape 
from what Western society has exported and how it has sort of ruined things. And so he winds up, excuse me, he winds up on this lost island with this pristine beach and this culture that sort of fostered a utopia. But it's also made up of a bunch of Europeans kind of wanting to go native. Right. And so there's, and so it's it's interesting that Danny Boyle was attracted to that book and adapted it into, um, and adapted it into the movie, which is also fascinating that he used an American to, and, and changed it rather than keeping it British. Wasn't he supposed to be Ewan McGregor in that role originally? I, I don't know, maybe, but he ended up with Leonardo DiCaprio, which is his follow up from Titanic, which is very fascinating in and of itself. Um, but. Anyway, because Bond harkens back to a certain era of British identity, yeah, um, of you know, sort of the the, the you know the, the 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 elite white man kind of keeping the fringes of the empire right. in order, yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see somebody who is willing to criticize that. And has embraced storytellers who criticize that. Yeah. To have them take on Bond. I think what's interesting is that uh, as much as I love Skyfall, and I, I did like Spectre, I don't think it was as bad as most people said it was. Um, those movies, and like you were saying, there is sort of a fan service. Those movies kind of came out during a time of like, I mean, I mean, we're still sort of in the midst of the nostalgia wave. I think maybe Danny Boyle taking on Bond is sort of like, them getting away from that and just actually taking it to like a completely new, fresh direction. Right. Something a bit more of like a thriller, like just what what Bond used to be. Right. In book form. Right. Well, and that's I mean, yeah, Bond is very pulpy originally. I mean, I, I have a couple of, I, or I don't have them anymore, but I had some Ian Fleming novels, Bond novels back in the day, and they are they're pulpy trash novels. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of people comment that that the Bourne films are probably closer to what, like the Jason Bourne movies are probably closer to what Bond, the novel Bond is like. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, and, but then in a lot of ways, the new Mission, the, the Mission Impossible films are also kind of closer to the more what Bond has probably. been known for. I mean, I will say, the one thing I do want, I do miss in Bond is I do miss silly gadgets. Yeah. <laughs> I miss that kind of stuff. I kind of... Um, yeah, there is an element of that I, can, I really miss. But I can see Danny Boyle playing with that. Like, like he, when I think of Danny Boyle personally, I think of like the phase that England went through musically, where they were like really obsessed with like house music. Yeah, like with like I, I, I Prodigy. I, I, I'm willing to bet. I, I bet I will. I'm going to bet my house that Prodigy is going to do the theme for the, for Danny Boyle's Double Seven. If Prodigy <laughs> does the theme for 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 a Danny Boyle Double Seven, I will. I yeah, that would be um, awesome. Or or Underworld. Yeah. <laughs> or um, uh, Paul Oakenfold. I'm just trying to think. Uh, d- d- confession time. Out of you don't you don't even know this. Me and my buddy Josh. If Josh, you're listening. What's up, dude? Um, we went through a phase where we listened to a lot of English techno. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We listened to a lot of English techno. Or uh, maybe maybe we'll finally we'll, we'll, we'll get another collaboration with um, the Dust Brothers with um, Tron Legacy. The oh Daft Punk. The Daft Punk. <laughs> See now you're talking about my movie, man. Yeah. <laughs> and Matt's not here. I know. <laughs> um, I, that, but that, that's what goes through my mind when I think of a Danny Boyle James Bond movie. I'm thinking of something punchy. I think of something very '90s in a way, kind of oh, yeah. '90s indies, kind of '90s indie foreign. Maybe more like Goldeneye. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Goldeneye's a pretty '90s movie. Yeah, I guess so. I'm thinking of more like like a Run, Lola, Run. 
kind okay. of thing. You know? Okay, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like the like thumping house music, and uh, that's, I mean... I'm interested in that. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. interested in that. Matt is like... One is like wanting to punch. Oh no 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 no! <laughs> you know who's doing the theme? Who? Uh, it's not Prodigy or them. As much as we'd like that, that ain't happening because there are rules. You know who's going to do it? Who? Oasis. Oh, nice. Yeah. Or the Gallagher brothers. I think I don't know if they're touring as Oasis anymore. It might just be Liam Gallagher touring brothers. But I I wouldn't be surprised if they don't reunite you Oasis or something yeah. for the Bond theme. In, in which case, <laughs> in which case, I will pre-order that soundtrack. <laughs> So yeah, I, I think it's something kind of exciting to look forward to. So yeah, able to take it out. And Dan and Craig is, is of course on board to do it. He's he's contracted to do it. So and and as far as I know, I think it's pretty much like they're they're ready to go. Like to to have him on board. So. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So so that's that. That's the Danny Boyle thing. Are we ready? Are we ready to move on? I, uh, you tell me. Are we ready to move? Okay, on? I, I think we. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's see what else we got. What else we got? So did you hear about uh, Kristen Wiig? As the villain in Wonder Woman 2? Yes. I am so on board with that. Really? Or as Cheetah? So on board. Tell me why. Just, I want to see Kristen Wiig do something like that. (laughs) Just so out of, uh, because she always plays oddball comedy stuff. I, I, I've not seen her do anything dramatic. So. Oh, you say you haven't seen any of her dramatic roles? No. There's one that she did with Bill Hader called, I think it's called the Skeleton Twins. Okay. And I think it's actually supposed to be like a, like a straight up drama. Okay. And I've only heard really good things about it. And there's one I watched that it's drama, but it's still kind of quirky, which is, uh, I think it's called, this is me or where she, she inherits a bunch of money and then she starts her own television show, but she plays the character she plays is like kind of quirky and weird. Um, and she does a pretty good job. I mean, I, I love Kristen I mean, Wiig. Yeah, I've, I, 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 I've not seen her in anything that I don't like. Like she's just good in everything I've seen. And, you know, Cheetah is an interesting. I mean, that's that's Wonder Woman's Joker, basically. That's is her arch villain. Yeah, I don't know well, I, between I, it's either her or Giganta. Those are the okay. two. Um, those are the two big villains for for Wonder Woman that, I, as I understand it, okay. but Cheetah's a pretty recurring villain, and um, and there are a lot of different variations of of Cheetah. Um, one of my favorites is that she is an Amazon who left. And was banished from Themyscira. Really? And, but she winds up um, falling in, I think she winds up in Africa. This is, I think, the New 52 version. <laughs> but she winds up sort of, I don't, sort of, I don't know, either, either falls in with like a cheetah-worshipping cult or or something like that. I can't, it's been a while. Um, but... But yeah, but the idea of her being a being an Amazon, and sort of because she's an Amazon, but she's sort of an Amazon who is angry at Themyscira, she's sort of the mirror of Wonder Woman. Okay, and um, so it's because is it because she's sort of like a fish out of water, or is it because like a? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know the character enough to, to say all that. Okay, but um, but in the appearances that I've seen of her. She's an interesting character, but, but I've only known her from New Fifty Two, right. so I know there's a ton of variations of the character throughout the, over the years. Um, I, what I would be interested in is because if I'm not mistaken, the New Fifty Two version of Cheetah, she's a person of color. Oh, really? Well, that would explain taking place in Africa. Cause I feel like maybe they won't do that for this one. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Because yeah. Christopher is very white. Very white. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, the I, I've seen some versions of her. There's, I think, like more of the Silver Age version of her um, that um, um, Alex Ross had done some artwork on. Really. She was sort of, I think, she fit a, somewhat of a femme fatale huh. kind of characteristic. And if if that's the direction they're going to kind of go, where Wonder Woman encounters her like in the forties or something, oh, cool. as like a film noir kind of yeah. character. That would be really neat. I would like to see them do that, where like, <clears throat> where like more the Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman movies kind of taking place throughout different periods throughout like American history. Right. I think that'd be really cool. And it, and it would be neat because it would keep it would keep the stakes relatively small. Yeah. Or keep her kind of because the idea she's been hidden. Right. And so these are things happening kind of behind the scenes. And if they, but if they deal with if Kristen Wiig is uh, is a is a Amazon. You know, Wonder Woman has been sort of removed from her island in her home. Right. There's caused her to seek her out, but it's sort of like tying up a loose end or something. It's kind of like when the Doctor met the Master in Doctor Who. <laughs> because they're both the last uh, Time Lords, uh, but, you know, the Master is, is, uh, is an evil Time Lord. And it's really his only connection to the Doctor's past, his own species and planet. Um, but they're enemies, so it's... There's some tension. Deep stakes, not high stakes. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> there are times where I wish you would just talk about sliders. <laughs> I got it. I'm sorry. I, I just have to acknowledge. I, I don't know what it is. I, I have an irrational I have an irrational thing about Doctor Who. Uh, okay. I've never watched Doctor Who, but there's just something. About, I think it's because Whovians have ruined it for me. But they're so nice. No, they're not. Yeah, they are. We did I mean, a whole episode about how nice they are. Well, you guys did. You guys <laughs> met a bunch of them. But I, a couple months later, I read about how awful they were about... I mean, the come on. Have you seen how they've reacted to a female doctor? I know. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's face it. All fandom is bad. Fandom, fandom seems to be toxic. Yeah, it's, it's all... It's which all. we talk about a lot in this podcast. Yeah, I know. Um, my personal feelings on it is uh, I'm very curious to see how Kristen Wiig handles being a villain without being like the Kristen Wiig we see on SNL. You know, is she going to ham it up? Is she going to be super serious? Like, are we going to see, like, uh, you know, I'm kind of thinking, like, if Kristen Wiig did Hella in Thor Ragnarok, it'd probably be really funny. You know? I don't know. I think I think she could... What what I guess what what interests me about her is she could be sort of a ham it up kind of person, kind of but then poorly. but then take it to a then but then bring in like a serious menace. It'd be interesting to see her do that. To where like at first you're like this is because I mean Cheetah is a ridiculous character. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I mean case in point, the Joker, who I'm sick of by the way. <laughs> um, the Joker is a ridiculous character. He's a clown. Yeah, but. What what makes the Joker kind of a compelling character? It, it, you know, I, I think particularly of of Tim Burton's '89 Batman is that Jack Nicholson really hams up. Oh yeah, She's, he goes for the Cesar Romero approach, but it works Joker. in that movie because there's a yeah. menace there that it scared me. Yeah, it's a lot different. It's a lot different than the Ledger approach to Joker, which of course everyone is trying to sort of ape these days. Unfortunately, yeah. And, um, you know, I gotta be, I'm gonna, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I like Jared Leto Joker. 
I do. I think it would have been better if they had a different director. Probably. Uh, he just needs a really... He needs a director who could really focus on him. Yeah, I think Jerry Little needs a lot of steering. He's he's that kind of actor. To me, Jerry Little, Jerry Little is that kind of actor who comes to set and he's just like on fire. And like he needs someone to kind of like, no, 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 no. Come over here. Stand here. Look this way. Do this. Focus everything over here. You know? Yeah. And I feel stop, like... Stop mailing creepy stuff to your co-stars. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think like maybe an ensemble movie wasn't right for that character. Yeah, I mean... Or yeah. for a director who probably couldn't handle an ensemble. I don't know. I don't like David Ayer. Um, yeah. Don't think he's that great. But uh, that's just my opinion on that. Um, um, you were talking about um, Alex Garland earlier. Yes. Who directed Ex Machina and... Annihilation. Annihilation, who wrote The Beach. Um, he also wrote uh, the movie Dread. And re- yeah, I've heard this news. And yeah. apparently Carl Urban came forward and just sort of blurted out an interview that Alex Garland actually directed the movie and not the actual director of the movie, which is... Uh, what's his name? Peter something. I want to say Peter Travers. Pete Travis. Pete Travis, not Peter Travers. Yeah, so Pete Travis is credited as directing Dread, which I think... Alex Garland, he wrote the screenplay for Dread, right? Uh, yes, and then I also uh, he also produced it, and yeah. then he also did the final edits on it, and coached the actors. <laughs> so he basically directed Dread. <laughs> That's what they're saying. You know, it's uh, apparently apparently he also directed Poltergeist, from what I understand. <laughs> he also directed uh, Odie and Troy, a filmmaker's odyssey. Um, for listeners who have no idea what we're talking about here, these are some deep cut jokes. <laughs> there is this long-standing Hollywood rumor that Steven Spielberg, who wrote Poltergeist, right? Or yeah, he wrote Poltergeist, and I don't know if he wrote the. Did he produce it? Oh, he very much produced, he produced it. Yes. The rumor is also that he directed it. Yeah, and it which which seems to be an increasingly likely thing over well, the years. Well, if you watch the dumb thing, <laughs> like if you know if if you. It's so bad because Toby Hooper died last year. And Toby Hooper is responsible for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Probably one of the scariest movies ever made. Uh, he's also responsible for a bunch of other horror films. And if you watch those horror films, he directed a movie called Life Force around the same time Poltergeist came out. He directed a movie called Fun House. He directed... Um, you know, I've always wanted to see Life House. Uh, Life House. <laughs> Life Force. Um, I Lifehouse. Remember that band? Yeah. yeah band Lifehouse. <laughs> Remember we saw a free concert featuring Lifehouse? Did we? Yeah. <laughs> In the rain. Oh my gosh, we did. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Didn't we leave early? Oh, we stayed for like five minutes and then we just, we boned out. Because <laughs> it was Lifehouse. <laughs> I forgot about that. Ah, that's funny. Um... Yeah, that, that's all you need to know about Lifehouse. We saw them in concert and left and don't remember it. Sorry if Lifehouse band members listen to this podcast. They are, and they're so they're, they're super pissed right now. Uh, they're probably still Calvinists. <laughs> um, I haven't made Calvinists. I've made fun of Calvinists on this show in a long time. Not in a long time. Um, but um, I always wanted to see Life Force. Um, that was one of those. There were a couple of movies that when I would. So this is a super weird. This is super random. Um, Albertson's grocery store. Um, some of them used to have movie rental 
like sections in it. Do you remember that? Yeah. When grocery stores had. Mm-hmm. And um, so sometimes, like every now and then, my mom would want to rent movies from there instead of Blockbuster or or Hollywood or 16,000 movies or anything like that, which was a place we had. And um, I remember like, I would always just sort of wander the aisles and I always went to the horror film aisle and I was always fascinated by like the Friday the 13th films, the, yeah. like the covers in the Halloween movies, the covers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the ones that I was always, I was always interested in life force. Cause it just seemed like the, 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 the VHS box art always intrigued me. Yeah. Um, but the other one was, um, was fright night, the original fright night. Yes. Which that poster is still amazing. Yeah. I think it still kind of terrifies me to be honest. <laughs> I've never seen, I've never seen any of those movies. I just, I love the box art yeah. and it's always intrigued me. And then there was, um, deep six, that's a cool. Oh yeah, that's a cool poster. Not one of those uh, alien ripoff movies. Yeah, but it's like under the uh, like in the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Before the abyss, but like yeah. Anyway, the Benz. That was another movie. Anyway, <laughs> the Benz. Really, I've never heard that one. Actually, that's funny. Um, so yeah, uh, Toby Hooper. Um, you know, if you if you watch all his horror films and then you watch Poltergeist. There's a sudden leap in quality uh, in that movie. And it's not like he made crappy movie and then crappy movie and then crappy. Then, oh, Poltergeist. No, Poltergeist is like in the middle of like a series of crappy films. <laughs> and I, th- th- there's a whole thing about it, like, especially when it was being made. Because at the time, Steven Spielberg was producing it, but he was directing E.T. for, I think, Universal at the time. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember what... Yeah, because E.T. was at Universal. E.T. Universal. I forgot which... I think MGM was Poltergeist. And he couldn't direct two movies for two two different studios at the same time. But he was on the Poltergeist set every day. Just about every day. While Toby Hooper was directing. And there are pictures of them. And, like, if you look at pictures, Toby Hooper is just, like, sitting down. And he just looks exhausted. And, and Steven Spielberg is just, like, telling everybody what to do. So like it, 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 so wait okay just because so Spielberg Spielberg of course is directing directing Poltergeist at the same time he's directing E. T. Um, I think E. T. was in post. Okay, when it was happening. But either way, yeah. This this speaks to how good a direct, how good Spielberg is. Yeah, he's a legend. That he can make a movie like Poltergeist. Yeah. In his downtime, yeah. like this is what he does. <laughs> this is the movie that comes out when he's sort of relaxing. Pretty much. Like yeah. And, 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 you know, Poltergeist is so good. It's one of my all-time favorite films. And there was a big controversy at the time because Spielberg did mention something in an interview saying that uh, he said that... I think they, they, I think they asked Spielberg if he, if he was one actually directing. He was like, no, but Toby Hooper is not a very take-charge kind of guy. And so... You know, when he's producing, he kind of takes command on set. He can't really stop Steven Spielberg, especially since he was so young at the time and just, I don't know, you know. I mean, he was, I mean, he's, he, he made E.T. He's at, like, he's like yeah. the apex of his game. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. So, like, and, and Toby Hooper, you know, kind of a quiet dude. So, you know, but, but after that, Spielberg actually wrote an apology and published it in the newspaper. Like, no, 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 it's just totally Toby Hooper's movie. I didn't direct it. It's all Toby Hooper, blah, 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 blah. But you know, watch the movie. <laughs> like, just watch it. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's totally, and it's not like, like you can watch Back to the Future, right? And you're like, oh, this is Spielbergian, but I can tell he didn't direct it. Like, you, this is definitely not like a. There's some things about it that aren't super that much, but it's definitely something he produced. But if you watch Poltergeist, 
uh, he, Toby Hooper either just like for a, 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 just for a, a hot minute could direct just like Steven Spielberg <laughs> <laughs> or that was actually Steven Spielberg behind the camera uh how do we get onto? We're talking about Scarlet directing Dread, a movie that I've never seen. Actually. <laughs> I didn't see it. I mean, I did see it. I didn't like it. Okay, I thought, I thought it kind of sucked. People in our people in our sort of news uh, movie world um, circles that we the, it's kind of a cult film. They love it. Yeah. So I've never I've never seen it. Um, I, 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 I like I, Carl Urban is watchable in absolutely everything he's in. So I would like to see it, but um, no, no. Yeah. But it just. But when I read it, it just made me think of that. This whole story of Poltergeist, you know, <laughs> I so, think a which is a much too. more interesting story than. than I mean, Alex Garland. I mean, it's kind of neat that that it's effectively then Alex Garland's first directorial film, pretty much. Um, which yeah, I need to see. I need to see Ex Machina. I've not seen it, and I definitely want to see Annihilation because I love the books. Yeah, love them. Um, the Southern Reach trilogy. Um, and it is the books are mind bending, and I understand the movie is also equally mind bending. Yeah, um, Ex Machina is really good. I've seen it. It's it's actually probably one of the better low budget sci fi films that come out in, in years. Um, and Oscar Isaac, of course, brilliant in it, like he always is. Uh, moving along, announced yesterday, I think. Uh, I guess this is a message recording. John Favreau yeah. announced to executive produce a live-action Star Wars series. I believe it when I see it. <laughs> well, really? Why? Well, but just in general, a, a live-action Star Wars series. It has been rumored for so long, and they've just never done anything with it. I mean, they'll deliver this time, though. I mean, it's, it's out of George Lucas's hands. The whole reason the, the other one didn't come to fruition is because... Lucas kept saying like the technology isn't ready right, or whatever because yeah, technology was never ready <laughs> um, and when the technology was ready we got the prequels um, yeah yeah oh gosh um, no I mean, it, I mean what's the question John Favreau or just the live action Star Wars or, or what I mean we just oh I'm just saying like it's it, that's that's the news John Favreau is executive yeah. producing the the live action hey, as long as it doesn't take him away from the Orville I'm fine because he executive <laughs> produces the Orville and that is that is that is the that is one of the best television shows out there yeah I, I actually I, I like that show too I need to finish it um, I love John Favreau I do too uh, he is I've always loved him like as as long as I've loved movies like I you know I've I watched uh, his debut. I guess I shouldn't say his director or he didn't direct it, but the movie Swingers. Did you ever see it, Swingers? Mm-hmm. I never saw Swingers. I feel like you'd like that movie. Yeah, I know. It's a, it was a, I remember it was a big deal mm-hmm. when it came out. It it's came it's out. Uh, the Vince Vaughn's like, first movie, right? Vince yeah, Vaughn. Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. It came out you know, in the, the 90s indie scene. Right. Uh, made in L.A., but basically just a bunch of comedians getting together making a movie. Right, and this is after Favreau was in PCU. It was, yeah. A little bit later. This is, it was during the, uh, the whole swing craze in the 90s. Yeah, when everyone was into zoot suits and stuff. And speaking of which, I was uh, when I was I, I was in Orlando. I was driving to Orlando today, and as I was driving, you know, I had to, to stay awake listening to music. And um, um, one of my one album that I really really like is um, Brian Setzer's '68 Comeback Special. Brian Setzer kind of getting <laughs> to his rockabilly roots because when he was a Stray Cats. Um, and, and I was listening to I was listening to that, and I just had this moment. I was like. Do you remember the Brian Titzer Orchestra? <laughs> Do you remember when Swing? Yeah, was for like a hot huge? minute. A hot minute for like a year. Yeah, 
For the year. I, th- I feel like, I think Swingers might have contributed to that. I'm not really sure. I don't really remember when it came out or when it... It was... But it was like, suddenly Swing was huge. Yeah. And then it was instantly gone. Yeah. It didn't last. Like, it sort of... I, well, I think it was... Maybe Swingers had something to do with it, but there was also the... It sort of piggybacked on Ska. Yeah, yeah. But then didn't have the staying power of Ska. I feel like MTV probably put the kibosh on that really fast. Because the boy band thing started... Snowballing. Yet another thing the boy bands ruined. <laughs> the boy bands ruined 90s swing. <laughs> swing. <laughs> them. We all could be. Yeah, I, I don't know. I have nothing because swing, I actually didn't really like it. Um, <laughs> you know, that, who's that? Which, which, which guy did uh, that Zoot Suit Riot song? I, I, I feel weird saying the title, the name of that band. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I know the, the Cherry, the cherry Poppy Daddy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel weird that they, <laughs> that's it. Uh, was there another called the the Squirrel Nut Zippers? There was the Squirrel Nut Zippers. Yeah. They did uh, they did a song called Hell. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, a, it was the Monkey Bone. Yeah, I forgot. Sorry, I forgot about that. Um, did, did, by the way, quick tangent. Did you read that Brendan Fraser article in the New York Times? Uh, I read parts of it. The, like the really messed up one about his like. Yeah, like super sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really sad. Rick O'Connell. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, but yeah, the. Uh, that swing. It's of course that we have to acknowledge Matt's not here, so we yeah. can't talk about this. But I I met Matt's wife years before they got married because she was a swing dance instructor. I was there too. You were there. JP and I. Took you, me, and Keelan. Heather, Heather, Heather was a swing dance instructor, and mm-hmm. um, I, I remember. I'm sorry, Heather, I, I retained nothing. But you and I have talked about this. So yeah. um, I remember we were we were actually reenacting. I can do the little heel tilt. That's all I can do. We were reenacting Back to the Future scenes because like there's oh right (laughs) right yeah but yeah um yeah that was such a weird time what a weird time it was weird but i kind of awesome kind of awesome a little awesome yeah i mean i want to talk about let me talk about brian sensor for a minute because um i'm fascinated by brian sensor i don't know if you know this about like i i i i actually brian sensor to me is, is 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 kind of punk rock yeah in the sense that he does not care. Like he, um, I, I, was, I, I watched a, like a behind the music thing with him once, um, where he talked about how in the seventies when he was in high school, he's like, I'm in high school and everyone's wearing like corduroy bell bottoms and all that stuff. And he is like, he's like, I just, he's like, I, he had discovered rockabilly or something. And he's like, he went to the fire with dime. He found a baggy suit he put it on and he wore a zoot suit in high school in the mid seventies. That's how he dressed. It's awesome. What an awesome, like how great, like to that. Cause you, you earlier JP was at my house and we were, he was, I was showing off my record collection because I'm very proud of my record collection. Cause I'm a hipster. And, um, we were talking, I was talking about the B 52s cause I love the B 52s, but I especially love the B 52s first album because it's so amazing to me the kind of music they're producing in the 70s in Athens, Georgia, of all places. Because you just, in my mind, like that just, that, that doesn't happen. Like, yeah. what kind of, what kind of groundbreaking, just sort of out of the box kind of person you have to be to use a theremin <laughs> in music in mid 70s in yeah. clubs in Athens, Georgia. But, um, um, with, with, um, with, um, with, 
you know, beehive hairdos and the whole thing that they had going, which is so cool. But to have somebody like Brian Setzer also in the middle of the disco craze, in the middle of, you know, that kind of phase where we went through in, in the mid-70s in America where there was sort of like the Southern rock revival and people were just kind of rednecks. Yeah. And here he is walking the halls in a baggy zoot suit with a pocket watch and his hair done up and all of that. Like, that is awesome. Did, did and, then he, and then he's formed Stray Cats and they'd have a, they have a rockabilly band and they were huge in the 80s. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, did, this reminds me, did you watch any of those greaser videos I sent you the other day? No, I did not. There's a YouTube channel where a guy, he is a real-life greaser and he lives as a greaser and he has a channel where he teaches you how to be a greaser. And it's really funny because he's very sincere about it. And, like, he's, he takes it very seriously. He's an artist. His name is, uh, I think it's Cryptic Art with a K. All right. <laughs> and uh, he tells you what kind of uh, hair stuff to get. Uh, he talks about uh, his, his leather jacket collection. <laughs> you know, as we're talking about this, I realize maybe, maybe it wasn't as weird that they were all doing this because Grease came out in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. And that probably helped. And also, because uh, what a weird, because I mean, to me, the 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 teen the teen angel segment yeah. in that musical and in the movie is that is B fifty twos. Oh yeah, that's a that's a very B fifty twos moment. But also, seventies was also uh, uh, American Graffiti. Right, yeah, so 50s Nostalgia was starting to make a comeback. And uh, what was on TV at the time with... Uh, oh, Happy Days. Happy Days. How can I forget about Happy yeah, Days? So, yeah. But I think Happy Days... It's that 20-year cycle that everyone talks about in pop culture. Right, but wasn't Happy Days... Happy Days came out as a re- because of American Graffiti, right? I, I don't remember. Or I so. maybe it was because of Grease, but it was... Um, but Opie got cast in that because of his role in American Graffiti, maybe? Probably. Or there was a relation there? Anyway, Probably. yeah, I forgot about that. So it's not as weird. Yeah. It's not as weird. So anyway, John Favreau. John Favreau. <laughs> Star Wars. So, live action TV I think show. it's great. I mean, he, if, 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 if I'm correct, the swingers started the whole 90s swing thing. He's, he's you know, responsible for starting the swing craze in the 90s and also responsible for starting the Marvel craze in the, in the 2010s. That's true, because he directed he's Iron Man. Directed Iron Man. He directed a number of other cool things for it. He did Zathra, which is a pretty good kids movie. And, of course, one of my favorite Christmas films, Elf. That's right. He did Elf. He did Elf, and uh, he plays Happy Hogan in the Marvel movies. That's right. It's actually really funny in Spider-Man: Homecoming. Um, and um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's a good actor. Um, and what, I, I love the movie he made uh, after Iron Man, which is Chef. I haven't seen that, but it's yeah. really good. I love that movie because I love cooking, and he's hilarious and he's a great director. I um, the thing about a Star Wars live action show. Let's get on that because okay. we know nothing about it. Well, we we do know it's going to be part of their. Part of Disney's streaming platform, that, right? Their Netflix killer. But I'm talking about like the actual, like the actual like storyline setting, oh, yeah, any of that. that. Yeah. Now it could be if if they sort of go with a sort of prestige series format that's sort of kind of like a Game of Thrones. You know, obviously not as adult as mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, but if they kind of go for that, like that could be an interesting thing. Since like basically Game of Thrones in the Star Wars universe, that could be yeah. interesting. I mean, I'm I'm really interested in, in, in just seeing what he comes up with like what is what is Star Wars to John Favreau right that's basically what I think of whenever I hear a new director taking out Star Wars it's going to be like what is Star Wars to them we got to see what Star Wars was to Ryan Johnson and it was like amazing um, yep. but to John Favreau a man who I've admired for years I can't wait to see what he brings to it and what he's going to try to do is it going to be like a gangster thing you know yeah outworld stuff or what um, 
so it'd be interesting to see. And you know, like I said, John Favreau, he's uh, he's on good terms with Disney. He's a good filmmaker. Solid filmmaker. I didn't like Cowboys and Aliens, um, but you had a lot of potential. Yeah, but I've liked everything else he's done, and you know, he's. I think his next thing coming out is um, the Lion King. Well, that's right, the live action Lion King that he did after um, Jungle Story, the Jungle Book. So, yeah, he's a Disney darling. <sighs> um, do you want to keep going, or is there? Are we, uh... I mean, we might be running out of time, but uh, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> I don't know what our listeners. Let's do one more. One more. No, we'll make it a good one. Let's talk about something a little, a little controversial. Oh, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, so Quentin Tarantino's new movie is starting to gain some steam. Yeah, uh, they announced the title "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood," and it's going to star both Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, uh, where they play one. One is like a, an aging TV star, and the other is his, his stunt double. His stunt double, and they happen to live next door to Sharon Tate who was uh, one of the victims of the Manson family murders. Right. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think, do you think this is appropriate? Because a lot of people, the, the, the buzz is that, wow, Quentin, like, that's really sensitive. Like, um, yeah, I mean, there's something, the, the, what you're, you're describing it just then, because, I mean, that's basically the synopsis I've read online, too. Yeah. Uh, but the way, hearing it in words coming out to me, it sounds like a really bad sitcom pitch. <laughs> yeah. They're like, like, what's going to happen with the Tate neighbors? Like, it just seems like <laughs> the, the Polanski Tates, the Polanski Tates next door. Um, it's like, like they're somehow like the Kramer of the show. And then they're just one day not because the whole gag, the whole gag is that, you know, they're going to be brutally murdered one day. Right. Um, jeez. <laughs> Speaking of, do you, do you remember that? Did you, did you ever read about that failed show that involved people living next door to Adolf Hitler? No. Okay. Yeah, did, you have to look that one up. Oh, um, it was an actual show. I think it lasted like five episodes. Oh, no. Um, the Hitlers or something like that. The next door neighbors. Yeah. Um, wacky neighbors. Um, but no. Um, um, I'm. Well, I guess. One immediately probably goes to the thought of Tarantino's very over-the-top exploitive use of violence, and that he and that I, I imagine that there are some folks who are worried that that that's going to be part of it. That we're going to see graphic depictions of the Tate murders and, right. and Marilyn Manson, uh, Charles Manson, <laughs> um, but at the same time, I, I think of I think of Django Unchained. Mm-hmm. Which was a movie that, to me, really distilled the the different ways in which Tarantino uses violence right. in his movies. Because when Django is killing people, it's his very like um, exploited like film exploitation um, um, thing, and it's very over the top to the point of almost comical. If you. Know, if I can say that, I mean, that's a weird thing to say, but it's the same for like kill Bill Volume one, right? Like it's, it's, it's very obviously fake and overdone. Yeah. But when, but the scenes where like the two slaves are fighting each other yeah, or any violence enacted by a slave master against a slave, Mm -hmm. it's a very different kind of violence. 
and it's very it's tough to watch and it's not over the top and exploitative it's very like it's sort of made to be sort of visceral and it's what yeah it's one of those things where it's like if you look away good that means you're human right right <laughs> like when is like yeah you should be looking away right <laughs> and so i'm almost you know there's an element of you know the show that he can do that mm-hmm. um there's also a wonder for me about in um when i think of inglorious bastards where it ends with an alternate take of history. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm wondering, are, is, is he going to go that route? Yeah, is, is like Sharon Tate going to like beat the crap out of the Manson family? And, like, yeah. <laughs> Kill Bill style? Thing. Yeah, or is the bride going to show? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that you can think of. Um, could it also very well be that Tarantino is going to do something completely different yeah. than we expect him to do? I mean, he's apparently you know also working with a Star Trek. Um, yeah. And I'm... You know, his, he's, he's said that, you know, his career is winding down. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see him defy expectation. Yeah, which is what he normally does. And, um, but, but does he? I think he does. You know, when Inglorious Bastards came out, I was very surprised at what it was. I was not expecting that. And I don't think anybody was. And I think he's been kind of dealing with this his entire career. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people like on social media and stuff kind of like pat themselves on the back from never, ha- never having watched a Quentin Tarantino film. And then I just want to tell them, like, you're not, if you're watching every other movie coming out, you're not missing anything. Like, you haven't avoided anything horribly violent that you haven't already been exposed to if you're watching movies. Right. I mean, like, I don't like, know. I guess you're right. I just, I, I mean, all of his movies... All of his movies definitely deal with like some B movie pastiche things, and yeah. I mean, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed Hateful Eight. I thought that was a that was a very interesting movie. I think people always sort of expect them to be just like this, just like just high octane action was like Michael Bay or something. Yeah, I don't and, know. I don't know why anyone would think that about. And Tarantino. they're they're not not at all, especially in Glorious Bastards. Like everyone was so surprised that it wasn't Brad Pitt just shooting Nazis the entire movie, right? You know, and yeah. it wasn't. It was actually like a very, it was a very good tense thriller. Really wonderful, you know, scenes uh, that are that were very dialogue driven and were just like great performance. Great performance. Christoph Waltz was introduced to the world basically. So amazing. Movie. So yeah, I um, yeah, I mean, I I mean, I'm a. I, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of his movies, and I'm and I'm a fan of of, of what he's doing because yeah. I, I think there aren't there aren't too many directors out there who seem to really understand film in the way that he does. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the medium, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we had the opportunity to go see Hateful Eight in the forty millimeter or the seventy millimeter Roadshow. Yeah, which is awesome. And um, and that was really really something to you know to go to a movie and to have an intermission and to get like a, a little booklet and to just have like a whole experience with it that you know he he gets that that a lot of that he get he gets the theatrical experience, he gets all of that. And then he also gets what cinema can communicate. Right. And what I what I'm fascinated with him is he does what a lot of authors do in like, like for instance, Chuck Palahniuk is an author who I've read a lot of his work. I've kind of moved past Chuck Palahniuk, but I've read enough of his work that I can speak about it. That when you understand who Chuck Palahniuk's, what his influences are, you see them in the book. Yeah. Haunted is a good example. 
he tried to do something that was akin to what Chaucer was doing with Canterbury Tales. And so it's a book of stories, of short stories, connected by a narrative. Um, he did um, Rant, um, which, is a, which is based off of a style of writing that Truman Capote was famous for, involving sort of interview style okay. of telling fiction. Um, so, so you see that as a literary person. You read books and you see what people like Polinick are doing as they're taking from other people. And, of course, he's violent and dark and all that, but he does it. Um, and, but when you, when you realize that Tarantino's doing a similar thing, but with movies, with film. Yeah. You see his influences. You see what other movies he's drawing from. And so he, he approaches cinema in a lot of the same way that... He, he very to me it was almost like literature. Oh yeah, totally, totally, yeah. Um, and and that's in a lot, and, and there aren't too many other filmmakers doing that kind of thing. And um, so that's something I really appreciate about his work. In terms of this movie, I, I don't have an opinion because it's not out yet. Right. And I'm you and I've talked about this enough, you know, on our own. Um, I don't know if some of we've talked about on the podcast or not, but I really, really don't like this thing that's happened in our world where people dismiss just outright things that haven't even been released yet. And would you call it reactionary? It's hard to say that it's reactionary because reaction refers to responding to something that's happened. Mm-hmm. When nothing has happened, how can you react? Yeah. It's like, I don't know, proactionary? Like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> proactionary? Maybe I quote Proactionary. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it, for instance, people getting really mad about um, that idea of that TV series of the Game of Thrones people were going to put out that was set in a world where the Confederate, like the Confederates won the Civil War. And yeah. like, okay, that's, I get that it's a story been told before. There have been people who've made that. There, there's a movie that's already, that's already done that. And so, you know, and like whether or not the Game of Thrones folks would tell it in a sensitive way or whatever, that's a fair conversation. But to dismiss it outright as a as, as horrible thing when not a single line of dialogue has been written mm-hmm. on a script to me is, 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 is kind of messed up. So for people to be upset about, I mean, yeah, Tarantino has a certain track record, but if you, if you know his work, you also know that he, he is sensitive to these things. Oh yeah, very much. Like I, I, I love, like, I think the big concern is how he's going to treat Sharon Tate. And I, for all we know, she might just be like basically a cameo. <laughs> yeah, and and I I feel like that's kind of I feel like if you're concerned, you, you you haven't been paying attention. Like the female characters in Tarantino films are the best characters. Right, they're wonderful characters. They're wonderfully handled. Uh, you know, Beatrix and Kill Bill is probably one of my all-time favorite movie characters. Uh, Shoshana and Glorious Bastards. I guess you can make an argument for uh, Gabriel. Uh, Gabrielle Union's character in Django Unchained wasn't really utilized that much, but like that's like that, to me that's the first time in his entire filmography. Are you talking like, about Kerry Washington? Was, oh, that was Gabrielle Union. Oh, sorry, yeah, Kerry Washington. Washington. Yeah, yeah. Who play? Uh, who plays? Um, who who was handled well, but she wasn't like yeah. she didn't get as much screen time as, as most of his other people's characters have in the past. Um, but he handles them really well. They're really wonderfully written characters, and they're. And they're very memorable, and people love them. So I don't really see the worry. Like I know, like she's a real person, and she had this really gruesome fate. But I just can't see Tarantino. Like I mean, he's always had this image of like 
just a guy that just totally gets off on violence, like this total like psychopath. But you know, if you watch his work, like he really is just another sensitive artist. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, and that's why I'm just as related to this. I'm, I mean, I'm very intrigued in his approach to Star Trek. Yeah. Because there's a part of me that kind of hopes that he would make a very hopeful and positive Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. And that in a way, well, I mean, if, if that winds up being like the last thing he's in, involved with, like if, imagine if Star Trek were uh, a Star Trek entry where his last movie, I mean, he said he would only make 10 movies. And, and if he did Star Trek after once upon a time, Hollywood, that would be his, his last film. Right. <laughs> could you imagine, could you imagine then a, a movie where like Star Trek is sort of, a vision of the world where we've moved past the kind of characters that he's been writing because he, he, a lot of his movies are trying to show how scummy a lot of us are. Yeah. And Star Trek is all about how we've acknowledged our scumminess and moved past it because we realize there's a much bigger universe out there and we're a small part of it. Right. Um, so the idea that, you know, he could write, I, I, I think he has something in it. I think he has something in him for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, and again, he's wrapping up his career and I'm sure he's, you know, he's probably not wanting to be, I'm sure he's wanting to do something different. Who knows? He may, he may basically, this could be his version of a biopic. Yeah. You know, um, this could be, you know, akin to like, um, Ed Wood. Right. You know, the way that Tim Burton handled Ed Wood, Mm -hmm. you know, this could be a very respectful thing. Because as far as we know, other than other than Hitler and Inglorious Bastards, he hasn't really dealt with an actual historical character. Yeah. Like a real person. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to write it off is really presumptuous. We don't know anything about it until it's out. Once it's out, if if he has a if he has a you know, a lingering camera on a brutal murder scene, then we can judge him for that. Right. Which again, like I don't, for all we know, the movie may end with a title card that says, and then she was murdered by Charlie Manson. I mean, yeah. we don't, we don't know, but I do have some, some controversy about that. He's casting someone to play Roman Polanski in it. Oh yeah. And, um, just because Roman Polanski, for those who don't know, garners <laughs> a lot of controversy because, um, he is a child molester. Yep. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just a big sting operation to get him to come back to the country. That's pretty funny. <laughs> like the CIA using Hollywood once again. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think it's presumptuous. I, you know, but I'm, I'm interested to see what Tarantino's going to do. Yeah, I, I am, am too. I, as always, I, I, I am. And um, definitely interested to start. I mean, we're getting a Danny Boyle, James Bond, and a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek. What kind of world do we live in? <laughs> um, I mean, seriously. I mean, we've got Scorsese, you know, Scorsese making... You know, last year or whatever with Silence, one of the most, you know, profoundly Christian movies. Yeah, and he's actually producing the, the Joker movie. Right, and then there's that, <laughs> the polar opposite of a Christian movie. Yeah. Um, I, I, by the way, just a note on the Joker. For those who don't know, um, Martin Scorsese is supposedly producing um, a movie about the Joker where Joaquin Phoenix plays the Joker directed by Todd Phillips, the guy who directed the Hangover movies, oh. among other things. Yeah. Um, which is such a bizarre sentence to say. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, for the record, I don't think it's happening. You don't think so? No, I don't think it'll actually happen. Uh, we'll see. We'll I just, it just seems one of those things that yeah. schedules will get conflicted and people have other things to do where they're going to realize that the bad press with it and just no, they're not going to do it. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, before we go, Chuck, all right. I want to end on this. 
Okay. Uh, there, there is a big, uh, I guess you say cultural event happening at the end of this month with uh, Steven Spielberg's next film, Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. You think you're going to see it? I haven't even seen trailers for it. Really? Yeah. Oh, I've seen tons of them. I mean, I know they're out there. I've just not watched them. Oh. It's not like I've not. I've just... Yeah, we have to remember, I don't have... I only stream. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I don't really watch TV that much anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I have ad-blocking software on my computer. So, um, <laughs> I mean, when I read articles and stuff about things, I, you know, I see stuff about it. And so, I mean, I think I saw the original teaser because I was intrigued by it. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued... But there's also an element to where when I look at it, I'm like, oh, gosh, it's just a nostalgia fest. Like it's it's kind of unfortunate that Steven Spielberg's directing it. Yeah, it's starting to feel that way. Like at first, I was really intrigued, and then I read the book, and I couldn't finish the book, <laughs> and I just kind of I just quit because I was not feeling it. You know, and I mean, then, uh, I'm like, uh, you know, I mean, he. I mean, the hope is that because Steven Spielberg is always known to drastically change things, but like for Ready Player One, it would have to be like a page one would be right like throw the book out the door you know it just so, seems very like low hanging fruit but I mean again I mean Spielberg's one of these guys who on his, on his in his downtime he makes poltergeist yeah exactly um, in his downtime for this one like he he finished making this one then he made the post and got nominated for a bunch of Oscars and then um, and that's kind of yeah I mean he has this habit you know he makes he makes like two movies at a time and yeah. Um, and one is usually sort of a, you know, it, it, it's for, you know, it gains something. It's sort of the popular folks, the yeah. popular, the, you know, the, the popcorn crowd. And then he makes, you know, an arty film. The Indiana Jones crowd. And then you got, yeah. Cause I mean, I remember the, cause, crowd. cause, um, yeah. Cause, um, um, war of the worlds came out around the same time that he made, um, Syriana. Munich. Or Munich, I mean, Syriana. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, um, that was that was John Stewart, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I think that meant Paul Greengrass. Okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, he made um, Which, actually not Munich and War of the Worlds too. That that's a good double feature. Right? Yeah, but they came. I mean, they came right around the same time. Yeah. But the um, um, but I mean, a lot of his fans are sort of in universal agreement that Spielberg's absolute worst film is Hook. <laughs> yeah, and Hook is so watchable. <laughs> like, if that is the worst movie that Spielberg puts out, then I mean, what? What? I mean, we we he is a god among mortals. And yeah, I have this I have this joke that like everyone is trying to prove Steven Spielberg is not perfect, and it's like I don't think it matters. Like, okay, Lost World sucked, Hook sucked, Nineteen Forty One sucked. Um, it doesn't change the fact that those two movies are probably better than anything anyone else would make. Right. Like his worst movie is someone else's best film. <laughs> right. Yeah. Lost World is Lost World is definitely worse than Hook in my book, but it features some. I mean, for all the for all the acrobatic kicking raptors <laughs> sequence, um, there is that crazy scene where the guy is driving the truck, trying to tow up the camper while there's two T Rexes dealing with him, and he. Yeah. That that sequence is incredible. <laughs> truly, truly. I like, actually really like the intense. The tall, the tall grass sequence of the Velociraptors. That too. That's really cool. Um, some some fantastic moments in those movies, uh, in that movie, and then of course Hook. I mean, again. I mean, definitely not his best movie, but it's for kids. It's for kids. It's so fun. I loved it as a child. So yeah. I love it. It's complete. That's a complete nostalgia thing. So you know, if so, there's he doesn't have doesn't the man can't make something unwatchable. 
I mean, I don't, is it possible that, play, that Ready Player One, he's just like, I've got to make a bad movie at some point. <laughs> I might as well waste it on this. I, I mean, I, I, think, I, think that I, I think we've reached a point where people are starting to get really sick of nostalgia. And I think that's sort of the reason why a lot of people are sort of dreading it. Um, but it also the same it time, smacks like, of pixels a little bit to me. I don't know. A little, I, I guess so. But I mean, I don't know. I can't look away as much as I want to. I'm going to be right there. Like I said, well, here's what here. Watch it. The thing is that the trailers I've seen, I don't like the CGI in it. And um, like yeah. the DeLorean from Back to the Future, it just looks. The scenes that take place in the Oasis yeah. are all motion capture animation stuff. Um, so, you know, I know a lot of people are excited to see like the, the Iron Giant in it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Freddy Krueger even makes an appearance. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'll probably check it out because it has all. I mean, you know, isn't Godzilla even in it? I mean, probably. Um, I think Mecha Godzilla was in the book, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So if Toho if Toho licensed that, <laughs> that'd be pretty interesting because they're notorious for not letting their IP out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'll check it out. I guess maybe I I'll probably watch it like on Netflix. Or I mean, something. how can you just? You, you, I mean, Spielberg. I can't. I just. I can't do it. I can't skip a Spielberg movie. Yeah. Except I mean, I might have skipped Ten Ten. That's different. I forgot he did that. <laughs> yeah, it's, he did that around the same. He did the same time he did Lincoln, right? Yeah, and actually, and Lincoln is fantastic. Actually, I haven't seen War Horse yet, to be honest. I keep forgetting. But I think that's just something I forgot. Not like I made an active decision. Not. It's to amazing do. how many movies he's made that I just there's sort of few forget that he made <laughs> them. Um, what a good director. So, but uh, I don't know. I just bring that up because you know I feel like uh, you know uh, our friend Father Funston told us that like Ready Player One is like the ultimate topic for Masters of Divinity. So, you know, maybe maybe we'll, maybe maybe we should have like oh, I wish you were around when we, when it comes out we could like see it together and do a yeah, thing. But um, maybe maybe okay maybe I, I'll commit. I will commit right now. I'll see it. Okay. I'll see it opening weekend. Nice. Just so if like Fun says this should be our thing, then <laughs> we should see it and we should talk about it and, and see if he's right. We should have him on that episode. Yeah, because I know um, he's, he's read the book. I've read half of it. So <laughs> let's do it. Let's cool. do it. All right. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Uh, Father Chuck, thank you so much for uh, coming out. Yeah, man. Recording with us. Uh, you know, it's it, it, to come all the way to Oklahoma to do this has been a pleasure. And uh, Matt, thank you. You're welcome, dear <laughs> this, this is my voice now. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please keep listening. We promise we'll, we'll get back into our, our the swing of things. Uh, it's just been kind of weird. It has been kind of weird. Uh, but we'll we'll get back into it. Uh, and it would be less weird if you folks could give us money to do this. <laughs> I'm going to start a Patreon. I think I think it's time. I think it's time we start a Patreon for this. And uh, so we can pump some money into this into this project. Give it some uh, give it some sheen. Yeah. Give it some or just value. Or, or just pay for our URL. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to have a URL <laughs> or a nice website uh, uh, among other things. Yeah. So, uh, join us again. Uh, thank you so much for listening and good journey. And literally, JP, I know you're leaving tomorrow to go back to Oklahoma. Yeah. Good journey to you. Thank you, sir. All right. I appreciate it.